Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. My fantastic friends of all things Godzilla, you're listening to the Kaiju Cast, a monthly podcast that is 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. I am your host, Kyle, and I'm here to spread the love for uh, what we know as the King of Monsters. This month and every month from here to Eternia, this is episode number 21 for the month of September 2010. Yesterday uh, was my birthday, and I had a really good time, but today it's time to get down to brass tacks. Time to do another episode before the end of the month actually smacks me in the face with October. But I don't have a special guest this month, uh, so what I thought we'd do is sort of recap what we know so far about the 2012 Legendary Pictures excursion into the uh, giant monster landscape and uh, what has come to light in the past year, specifically in the past uh, week or so, because on September 21st, I believe, there was an interview with Brian Rogers. We'll get all to that uh later. We'll be discussing the original 1961 Mothra film for this month's Daikaiju discussion, and I do have some Godzilla-related news to share as well. But uh, as has been the case here in recent months, we're going to turn on the nuclear-powered jukebox here and play some requests, starting with the Godzilla theme, acapella style, for Nick. Oh, <laughs> 
listeners will recognize, uh, somewhat recognize that very first piece that I played. That's from uh, this Godzilla acapella CD. Really cool stuff uh, in there, but really only a few songs on the CD that I can play in the show. Recognizable stuff. There's a lot of spoken word stuff. Anyway, that was a request uh, from Nick. Uh, and actually, another another listener also requested acapella stuff, too. Uh, <clears throat> but we actually played that last track for him. That was Back in Action from Godzilla Final Wars by Nobuhiko Marino. That was for Tito. And I also played, of course, the Rodan theme, which uh, is always a favorite. So what are we talking about this month? We're talking about the 2012 Godzilla stuff. I mean, really, we have a long way to go. Not a lot of information has come to light. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, there was an interview by Zenny Abrams. And uh, I will have the link in the show notes to that just in case somebody didn't catch it. There was a lot of discussion on the my um, the KaijuCast Facebook comments section and all over the internet, actually, about uh, this interview. But... Zenny Abrams caught up with Brian Rogers, who is a producer on the Godzilla film at the 3D Summit, I believe it's called. And, uh, you know, some what we know is that uh, he's one of the producers, and he talked about how he came to be involved with the picture, uh, and he talked about them aiming for 2012, and he talked about Yoshimitsu Bano. He also talked about the time spent licensing uh, the film, or, you know, getting the option to produced the film by talking with Toho. Uh, the term reboot was tossed around a bunch, which, uh, you know, I think is fine. And uh, he also mentioned that uh, they wanted to make it current and exciting to today's audience, kind of like what Legendary Pictures did with Batman. He dispelled the rumors of the sculpt that, uh, that was going around the internet. Uh, almost, he also said it was going to be a computer-generated Godzilla and almost most importantly, I mean, seems to be what's generating the most amount of, in, you know, discussion out there is that uh, he said he could safely say that there will be another monster or monsters and that uh, in the 98 film, not having another monster was a severe drawback to that to that movie. So, you know, this was an interview. It was totally done off the cuff. It wasn't something that anybody really prepared for. So. Kudos to Zinni Abrams, uh, who 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 did that interview. He did a great job, and kudos to Brian Rogers for having all the information that he did have. He didn't, you know, he wasn't able to spill a lot of information, but that's okay. You know, we don't need everything right now. I'm sure it'll trickle out as time goes on. I just don't want it to be another one of those super secret projects. I've said before, um, I have a healthy mix of excitement and apprehension when it, uh, it comes to this movie. We don't know much. We haven't been able to see much about the upcoming uh, film. Um, and I personally have my doubts that the production is far along at all. Uh, those are just my instincts, though. Uh, there's no information to, you know, contrast that, however. And here's what we have been privy to, aside from this interview, you know. There was the initial press announcement. There was a San Diego Comic-Con t-shirt. Uh, than this interview and then if you if you go way back because the same people are involved you have the information that we had when they were scouting uh, or not scouting but trying to get the 3D Godzilla film made for IMAX now I don't think any of that's still happening I think it's going to be a completely new thing I don't think uh, Legendary is going to look at that script and say that's a great idea let's do it that way 
we know some of the people involved, some of the players are going to be Yoshimitsu Bano, and uh, that's, you know, like I said before, that could be good, that could be bad, you never know. Not a lot to go on is the point there. Uh, but it is really fun to speculate what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, the press release came out, and uh, Legendary Pictures seems to want to make something that the fans are going to enjoy, which is good. I mean, the fans being a focus is something that I don't really remember from the TriStar picture. I don't remember them saying, we're going to make a movie that the fans are going to be happy about. I just remember them talking about how uh, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich where they liked the Godzilla movies of yesteryear. but And we all know how that turned out. Personally, I think that the most significant insight to this whole interview is that there might... I mean, not just there might be other monsters. He sounded pretty sure in the interview that there was at least going to be another monster for Godzilla to fight and that that, is a, that was a problem for the 98 film. So hopefully, legendary pictures plus a CGI Godzilla plus another monster will equal a good film. At this point, I just settle for like a decent film, really. I don't I don't need some earth-shattering thing that everybody comes back to me and says, "Oh, that was awesome." I just want something that's not going to make Godzilla look terrible. I want to see Godzilla get the de- the respect he deserves. Um I couldn't figure out, however, if the movie was going to be in 3D or not. I know he was talking about 3D for a little while and he was at a 3D summit. And uh, but then once he talked about IMAX pulling out, which was if you if you sort of timeline it, that was the point where they stopped talking 3D movie. And then the rest of the conversation goes into the actual film. And I'm thinking that this might not be a 3D movie, but, you know, that's that's sort of just because I, I didn't hear him talk about that afterwards. And personally, I would be just fine with a 2D version of the film. It's not that I have a problem with uh watching 3D movies that just haven't seen anything that's really blown me away. I did not, however, go see Avatar when it was in theaters. I just, I've only seen, you know, uh, I think I saw My Bloody Valentine in 3D, which was pretty good, but it was 3D, and, you know, you had to wear the glasses and everything, and uh, I I also saw Clash of the Titans in 3D, which uh, you guys know Martin Vavra, one of the listeners, and he'll be on later for the uh, Daikaiju discussion, he warned me not to do that, not to go see that movie in 3D because it wasn't shot for 3D. It was one of those things where they went um, after the fact, after they had it all all finished, they did the 3D in post-production, and it was terrible. It was so distracting. It was so bad, and I really just wish that I had not spent that money on it. But this isn't about how I felt about the Clash of the Titans movie. This is about the 2012 Godzilla stuff. So... Uh, let's get some listener feedback. I asked everybody, uh, just a little while ago, a little over a day ago, uh, to provide me with information. How do they feel about these announcements? Everyone in general seems pretty happy about the, uh, information from Zinni Abrams interview, which is good. Sean, uh, wrote in, noted that the, uh, that once the project was announced, it seemed that there were no updates for a long, long time. And he thinks, uh, that we can breathe a little easier now that we have, uh, that we know Legendary will stay true to the monster we all know and love. Sean hopes that they don't use Mothra or Ghidra as the opponent. I'm totally with you there, man. Uh, Maybe in a sequel, though. Robert wrote in to say that he was excited that we might be seeing a CGI Godzilla that was closer to the Japanese monster. While he's not really big on 3D movies uh, and would normally pass on seeing something like Avatar... 
a 3D Godzilla movie would get his money. Tito uh, wrote in and said that he also noticed that there seems like they're trying to make the film current, potentially adding enough into the movie to intrigue audiences of today who may not have even seen giant monster movies. Those poor, poor souls. And uh, Jonathan brought up similar points as well, that uh, only having Godzilla fight the army was a concern for many American fans, and uh, that while Brian states multiple times that Legendary wants to stay true to the character, he's not really saying much and might be obligated to keep quiet with those pesky NDAs and stuff. Uh, And while Brian mentions the CGI Godzilla, he doesn't really expand on how keeping Godzilla's CGI will retain the spirit of the originals. Now let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk about a computer-generated Godzilla. One of the things that Tito mentioned was uh, the Always um, movie, the Always 2 movie from Japan, where there was a CGI Godzilla that destroyed um, Tokyo. And it was, I gotta say, it was really well done, but it still just wasn't there. So let's take a look at some uh, monsters that have appeared in American cinema, uh, like giant monsters that have appeared in... Uh, in recent movies. I just mentioned a couple minutes ago Clash of the Titans. Well, Clash of the Titans clearly had the Kraken. And uh, that's actually something that I was paying some I was paying very close attention to when I was watching the film because I knew that Legendary did Clash of the Titans. They're going to be doing the Godzilla film. I just kind of wanted to see how Legendary Pictures looks at a giant monster. Um and I have to say that the issue with the legend <laughs> with uh, Clash of the Titans is that there doesn't seem to be an ounce of real anything in there. The Kraken is obviously 100% CGI, which is fine, but so is the environment. I think it takes a strong directive to make a CGI, completely fake monster, destroying a completely fake city or landscape or structure, all in CGI. So instead of looking at the Kraken, which again, was well executed. Nothing overly amazing, though. When I saw it, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. What I did find was more interesting and more amazing is something that I just watched recently. I just watched Cloverfield with Tiger. Aside from being able to see the film again, because I had only seen it once, I was really amazed at what they did with the, uh, with the surroundings. Because really, you don't get to see the Cloverfield monster very much in the movie. So yeah, personally, I think that if if they made Godzilla, the Godzilla monster, as well executed in the entire movie as they made Cloverfield, or the Clover monster, Cloverfield monster, uh, in those little snippets that you saw those that creature in Cloverfield, I think we'd be in great shape. I know there are a couple other movies that are coming up that uh, have giant monsters in them. Another one I'll be talking about a little bit later called Monsters. I think that, uh, in general, American studios are getting to be really good at giving their CGI effects and uh, objects real weight and making them really feel like they're on screen. I think that's a good thing. I I think that the design is really going to be the telling factor in a Godzilla film. You know, if if the design isn't there, like the TriStar Godzilla, yeesh, that monster is just not going to capture what it needs to on the screen, and it's not going to capture our imaginations, our hearts, et cetera, et cetera. It's just going to be a letdown. So the fact that uh, Legendary Pictures put out that shirt that had 
you know, a basic Godzilla design looked very similar to the Toho uh, Godzilla that we know. I think it's a great sign, and I, I'm really excited to see things come out as they as they are uh, made available to us. You know, just to just to put a fine point on it, I think we're all very excited. I think uh, you know, as Godzilla fans, we do want this to happen. We we want to see something that we can look at and say, yeah. That right there, man, that is what Godzilla is all about. That is why we love Godzilla movies. And I know that that's not 100% the same for every one of us. But I think that when we see it and it, it works, that's, that's when we'll be supportive. Sean also brought up a good point here that uh, I'm going to kind of mix up what you said here, Sean. I'm going to scoot things around. He said that uh, one thing that concerns him is that it's, uh, you know, we're in 2010, we're uh, September of 2010 right now, and they have yet to sign a director or a cast or crew, and uh, by this point he figures there's a little over two years until the film's released. A great movie like The Dark Knight, for example, takes about three years from pre-production to production, then to post-production and completion. So if they have to push the release back to 2013 in order to do it right and give us a quality film that Godzilla deserves, so be it. And I totally agree, completely agree. I would much rather see a Godzilla film in 2013 or 2014, you know, as long as it gets done. You don't want something sitting around so long that it kind of just stagnates. I'd be fine with it. I, I, you know, I really want to see Godzilla get a good film. And additionally, uh, Sean and other people brought this up too, that they're happy that that Legendary Pictures is not remaking Godzilla. They're not trying to start off and say, this is the, how Godzilla started. This is the first Godzilla film. They're not redoing that. That's not the reboot we're going to see. We're going to see something that probably, I'm assuming, I'm you know, I'm guessing here. Not assuming. I don't like to assume. I'm guessing that what's going to happen is they're going to introduce Godzilla Maybe give him a little bit of a backstory. Maybe give us a glimpse of how he was created or how he could have been created. And then they're just going to start throwing him into the scenery and hopefully giving us what we want, which is, you know, a lot of destruction, a lot of buildings crushing and falling down and, you know, another monster. I really am excited about that other monster idea. I mean, I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't tell you how many... How many times I've been slightly disappointed in Toho for not coming up with something cool and new. I mean, if you look at the Toho films, you know, going backwards, 2004 didn't have any... Well, it did actually have a couple of new monsters. It had Kaiser Ghidra, and it had Monster X. And I never really liked Monster X that, that much. I thought it was interesting the way that they hired... Um, different designers and different artists to come up with concepts for those monsters. It was fantastic, but uh, Monster X never really did it for me. Back one film, you've got Mothra, you've got Mechagodzilla. Next film back, Mechagodzilla. Next film back, Godzilla, Baragon, King Ghidra, and Mothra again. And you have to go back to 2000, uh, to the year 2000, when Megagirus was the opponent. And actually, I think I remember even in 2000, I was saying to myself, self, Megagirus is a little too much like Batra mixed together with Legion from Gamera 2. I didn't really dig it. And truth be told, 
I think about the first half of Mega Gearus I really enjoy. Then the next half, if you broke you know, broke it up into quarters, I kind of enjoy the the next quarter and then by the end of the movie it's just not really going out on a on a strong note. Then uh Godzilla had its own film. And then you're back in 1995, you know, with Godzilla vs. Destroya. And they did come up with new monsters for the Heisei period. Obviously, there's Destroya, there's uh, Space Godzilla, and most notably, Biollante. But really, if you think about it, Destroya, Space Godzilla, Biollante, that's three opponents in a seven-film arc. You know, you have all seven of those movies, and only three of those movies have new creatures in them. Even though some of them were reimagined, Toho just hasn't really pumped out new interesting monsters as of late. So here we sit, six years after Godzilla Final Wars, and we're starting to get information about a new monster potentially fighting Godzilla or monsters in this new production. I, I don't know. I just, if it's new, I'm totally cool with it. And, but, you know. I'll probably be okay with whatever they do unless they really mess it up. So don't mess it up, Legendary. There's one thing that you uh, you can definitely be sure of, and that is that as soon as I know information, I'm going to post it. Um, I usually talk about Facebook and Twitter at the end of the show, and I will, of course, do my spiel then. But I, I want to tell you listeners out there that if you're not uh, paying attention to the Facebook page, that's where I do a majority of my in-between show communications. Um, I don't do a ton of them, but every once in a while something will happen. That's where I posted this information, the links uh, to the YouTube video and to Zinni Abrams' uh, actual blog post. You know, that's where I posted something about the, the, the shirt from Comic-Con and, you know, anything I find. Since I don't do the episodes until the end of the month, if I find out information at the beginning of the month or the middle of the month, it's going to go on the Facebook page. Whew! Talking by yourself is a little tiring. So uh, what do you guys say we take a tiny little break before we get into the Daikaiju discussion and uh, play a couple of tracks, kind of gear us up for the next stuff? Let's do it. This is Furious Electron Cannon Assault by Kira Ifukube from The Mysterians. Oh! 
It is once again class time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast will showcase one particular film from the giant monster landscape and task the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, solidifying that this show will keep going for a very, very long time. This month, we're... uh, Continuing our Mothra theme, last month we did Mothra 2, or Rebirth of Mothra 2. This month we are doing the first, the very original monster movie from 1961, Mosura, as it's known in Japan. And uh, in America it was released as Mothra. I have a little treat for you guys, something I want to play before we get into the discussion, because um, Jeff and Martin came over to watch the movie, but... Before we get to that, let's uh, let's set the stage. Who is Mothra? What is Mothra? Why does all the world fear Mothra? They found him on an island in the remote Pacific, a monster cave creature discovered by a group of the world's leading scientists. Worshipped as a god by the tiniest, loveliest women in all creation. Sacred beauties of a lost tribe. See how he stands unscathed by tanks, artillery, dive bombers, rockets, all powerless against his devastating death ray. See how he eludes capture in his impenetrable cocoon, which no human force can open. See him unleash with a single tremendous breath the Earth's most fearsome hurricanes, wrecking trains and ships, uprooting bridges and buildings, wreaking havoc on land and sea, thrilling you, chilling you, holding you spellbound. What is the secret of Mothra? Insatiable, indestructible, indescribable. The screen's most fantastic dramatic spectacle, Mothra.
Mothra was directed by Shiro Honda, produced by Tomiyuki Tanaka. It was written by Shinichi Sekizawa, and it starred Frankie Sakai, who was actually a um, a comedian in Japan at the time and starred in a whole bunch of uh, comedy movies of the era. Also starred Kyoko Kagawa and Hiroshi Kozumi. Fans will recognize Hiroshi Kozumi because he uh, actually reprised his role in Tokyo SOS in 2003. The music for this film was actually not done by Akira Fukube. It was done by Yuji Koseki. And uh, if you are a listener of the show, you'll know that I have actually played a few songs from the soundtrack in previous uh, episodes. This is like one of Toho's bigger uh, productions from the 60s, and it really just showcases what they could do at the time. It's a fantastic film. I really love uh, how it progresses along. I really love the story. And uh, let's, ta- let's hear what uh, Martin and Jeff had to say about this with me. All right, so I'm sitting here with my good friends, Martin Favara and Jeff Dean. We just finished watching the original 1961 Mothra. So, Martin, since you got the microphone, and we all know this is the first time you've seen it, what uh, what were your thoughts on this film? Give me a little little nugget of a review. A little nugget of a review. If I had to break it down, I would say that this was probably kind of a ridiculous, bad movie, but I have to say that I absolutely had a ball watching this thing. It was really a lot of fun. I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if I see it <laughs> being a ridiculous. Bleep. I, it's, it's, to me, I don't know this film. I think it's. I have a problem with casting any kind of negative light on the '60s Toho films at all. They're just all to me so iconic of what these movies are all about that I personally kind of project better filmmaking on them than they are and and that's why i'm saying i can't like if i was to break it down i i I would probably be very nitpicky about it but the fact of the matter is i had a lot of fun watching this movie i enjoyed it from beginning to end uh and I, i can't project anything bad onto it even though i i know i know all the places that it fails it doesn't matter i really just had a good time watching this movie yeah it's a good one, and uh, just so the listeners out there know, we we watched this uh, the dubbed version of this film tonight, and uh, I was I was pretty happy with uh, with everything we saw. Jeff, I know you've seen it before, right? So uh, tell us a little bit about what your your thoughts were. It had been I think over twenty years since I've seen this version, and when I first saw it, it was just like on VHS, so it was you know pan and scan and and a. Uh, crappy quality i was pretty impressed uh i think it holds up uh fairly well um i'm more in your side of the camp and that you know the 60s stuff is just very you know iconic and and, and it's and it's really well made for, for what it is this is fairly you know kind of a high budget um you know kind of film um the effects work is good um i think it go you know it moves at a brisk pace and and, and it's pretty entertaining all the characters are uh uh very amusing. I love Jerry Ito in this. And, and it's interesting, you know, his uh, dubbing, which he kind of, you know, sounds like a, you know, like a foreigner, like a... Uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he comes across as like, you know, like a, uh, like Bela Lugosi or something like that. And uh, he's just very campy and, and a lot of fun. And, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoyed this one. I think it holds up fairly well. I, I think really what makes this movie uh, so great for me is that <clears throat> if you put yourself in the sort of time period where this film came out, it's 1961. There had been two Godzilla movies, got the original movie, and then Godzilla Raids again, and uh, which was the you know the year after. So it was 1954 was the first film. 1955 was the second. And then there was uh, 1956. They did Rodan, which was a you know singular monster film. And then 1957 they did the Mysterians, and uh, the Mysterians was a totally different movie style, but it was still it still had sort of you know this kind of earth versus big giant thing and that was the the actual in, uh, you know alien invaders and you know you they've got a couple of more in there and then 1961 is when this film comes out so you still are one more year before the next Godzilla film which is King Kong versus Godzilla and it just really works for me it's like you can tell that Toho is still trying to test the waters and get some new stuff uh under their belt and I just really, really enjoy the way this movie plays out. And uh, you can tell that it's it works for these films because they actually end up using bits and pieces in the following Mothra uh, and Godzilla franchises. Um, don't you think this film is uh, very influenced by King Kong? Just like going to the island, the natives on the island, um, you know, kind of worshipping, you know, the... Uh, the giant god or what have you um, the iconic piece from the island that they find in the city yeah and uh but it, it you know the, the story is like very very simple but when you think about it how much death and destruction is caused upon um you know tokyo and uh, new kirk city just because one man's actions won't you know it's just like it's very when you think about it very I mean, Mothra's, she's mean. <laughs> Mothra's not mean. She just wants her twins back. Well, and uh, something that was, well, it was different in this movie, but also having watched them out of order, I guess it's not different looking at it chronologically because Mothra doesn't have, like there's really not a lot of weapons. Mothra doesn't really hit the ground and do everything. Really the, you know, what Mothra does is, in the caterpillar stages is crawling through and, you know, busting through stuff um, and then goes through the metamorphosis, builds the whole chrysalis thing and then flies around and everything. So there's not like shoulder cannon weapons and, and breath laser beams and all that other stuff. So it's like they, they kept that very simple. They didn't really try to get too radical with anything there. Yeah. There's that whole, uh, the whole attack scene is really not an attack. I mean, she's literally just flying around. Mm-hmm. And before that, you're just crawling around. She just happens to be crawling through buildings and, yep. you know, just trying to get get back to who she loves, I'm guessing. But, you know, I, I personally, um, you know, we talk about remakes every once in a while and, uh, you know, this movie, uh, as as Jeff has heard me say, you know, Mothra has appeared in so many films. I really think this is one of the better films that Mothra's appeared in. I really like her uh, introduction into the Godzilla series as well. It's one of my favorite films of the entire 
series is uh, Mothra versus Godzilla from 1964. But this film just kind of takes it back to the basics. And I totally liken uh, it to King Kong, like you said, Jeff. And, you know, I, I, I think that they, uh, that at the time Toho pretty much saw that King Kong worked on these levels and they wanted to reproduce that more than they did so in the Godzilla films. And if you look at, um, you know, the Mysterians, obviously it's nothing like this. And uh, Rodan is nothing like it either. And the original Godzilla has a little bit of that in it because there's the island that gets attacked in the beginning, but it's sort of a different kind of feel. They're not, they're not really uh, treating Godzilla the same as they are as they do King Kong, and and this really really harkens to the 1933 film much more than say the original Godzilla. It it's interesting with this one because uh, I, I've never seen the second Godzilla movie. Um, and then the original Godzilla movie, I don't think I've ever seen all the way through, at least not in one sitting. Um, so, but with the Godzilla movies that we've seen, with the trends of everything being, you know, uh, there's the whole nuclear radiation. There's, you know, there's the the responsibility and the irresponsibility of humanity and nature and the things that we do. And it's interesting in the very part beginning of this movie. It's almost like they started to kind of touch on that because this was an island that. I guess they had been testing nuclear bombs on her. There had been some kind of nuclear yeah, stuff. Yeah. They had the carnivorous plants that were trying to get them. But that, I think, becomes abandoned as as a message because that's never something where they try to... They never try to explain Mothra. They never try to explain the connection. They don't explain the girls or anything like that. It's risk. It just becomes a rescue mission at that point in time. And really, if anything, the, it's about uh, the ego of one person superseding anything else. Yeah, I this movie it does seem like that at the beginning. You're as you're watching it they're talking about, you know, the well they're on the freighter and the freighter's like, "Oh, we're we're getting cl- too close we're to the, the nuclear to zone." Island. Exactly. And that, yeah. And then uh I think there's actually a there's almost like a point in the movie where they instead of it seeming like it's going to be this you better be careful with uh radioactive, you know, energy it turns into a look we were actually responsible and they i think they say in the film at least in the dubbed version that that island wasn't supposed to have anybody on it yeah and and uh you know and then everyone is very well protected when they go to the island and they know it's a you know it's a hot zone but everybody has their protective suits on and then it does switch to this adventure film in a sense mhm yeah yeah so uh the uh the the twins, right? The the Mother twins, mm-hmm. the fairies, the cosmos, aka the peanuts. There are some good things to really point out about this. Um for nineteen sixty one, there was an incredible amount of what I would guess are early attempts at green screen, blue screen type of stuff where they're doing uh, projection work and they've done things, you know, where they've, where they've actually gone through and cut out the images, you know, where they've got the, the cosmos that are in the cages. Uh, you've got, there's a, there's a lot of things you've got guys in, in tanks and you've got cityscapes that they are clearly not filmed in, you know, and you can see the, the blue edges and the lines and whatnot. There's a tremendous amount of model work, 
oh, right, that went yeah. into a lot of this stuff, a lot of model work, and and most of it very, very well done. You know, they did a, a really good job on all of that, um, and they did some really good stuff with some of the uh, uh, animation that was added in, like the cracking of the egg, oh yeah, the, and the cracking dam. of the dam. Yeah. So there was a lot of things that I think for 1961 were very well done, were very bold choices to go in there and do. And I don't know anything about budgets for that time or anything, but I can't think of a 1961 movie on at the top of my head that had all of those attempts in there like that. I mean, you could probably maybe go back to like a Harryhausen movie where maybe they've got stop motion animation stuff or something like that, but... I don't think they ever had any that level of. I, I mean, there was even uh, when the uh, Nelson was opening the carriage door, you know, and he's opening the carriage door to a carriage that's not even there. They mm-hmm. had filmed that that and inset that into a shot, and then reshot that shot, and then that was inset into him being there, acting as though he was opening the carriage door to. I mean, that was that was really well done. So you know, it shocked me uh, as far as Matt work and you know. Blue, you know, blue screen uh, work in this film was when he first grabs the girls on the island. Uh, I know that when they're holding them, it's very obvious that they're dolls. But like that first shot where he like uh, grabs the two girls, he grabs one of them, and then he reaches for the second one. I was just like very impressed. I was like, wow, that really. I totally bought that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and they were he having picked the, them up off the they, ground. They were actually like I think back in the day that was the kind of stuff where they actually physically were cutting things out of the celluloid film strips and you know placing them into areas like that. I mean, I've heard tales of people that would do things like that to make shots happen. Yeah, I think it's frame. I think it's frame by frame mat work. Yeah, is what you would describe that. I'm not sure. I got to get up to date on my uh, film. Well, not up to date, but up to at least <laughs> the 60s dating with a. Uh, with my film terms, because uh, that stuff, yeah. And I know that uh, Eiji Tsuburaya, who is the special effects director for these films, um, he was really, really pushing the studio to make, um, you know, leaps and bounds as far as, like, improvements to their to their visual effects work. And I think it really shows. Uh, I, you know, they only get better, uh, you know, up until about 1969, and then things just start getting reused and this that's when the uh the stock footage comes in and i don't even know about better there was actually um and maybe i need to watch better now to go back and watch some of these but i would say that that is some of the best building destruction work i've ever seen uh, out of the movies we've seen in there there was there was, and I mean, I got to the point where I was like trying to really get in there and nitpick. Okay, am I going to see like a little bedroom set or little dressers or something like falling out of the rooms or something? But as far as like the walls and the structures and things that looked like cement and concrete and stone buildings and all that stuff, man, it was really well done. Very well done. I'll follow that up by saying that uh, I. If I think back on the movies you've seen from the Shoah series, um, at least with me, it's mostly been stuff from 1970 on. So you've seen Smog Monster. Oh, no, you you also, you've seen uh, 1966 and the uh, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, which is a little bit different. I mean, miniature work on that was the island, which is uh, totally a money-saving technique, too, but... Uh, you know, 
you've seen the sea monster and then you've seen uh then uh, 71 smog monster and then Gaiken. um and i think that's it for the rest of the show series but yeah if you if we were to sit down right now and watch the rest of the films in chronological order up until godzilla versus the sea monster i think you would see uh improvements along the way as uh as you can maybe tell that toho was upgrading their equipment and getting um getting some uh better shots and better mat work done but uh jeff did you have any thoughts to add on that uh you know what you really liked about the film maybe um well well, i totally agree with what um both of you were saying it's like i said when uh, we first started this uh that's just extremely well made i think you can tell the japanese and toho were really they knew what was coming out of america like with 20 million miles to earth and jason the argonauts and all that kind of harryhausen effects work that they had to step up their game to compete and um, my overall opinion of, of this film is um for me it's it's one of my favorite of the 60s including all the godzilla films and um it's probably my second favorite uh, Mothra film after the uh, um, Heisei, Godzilla vs. Mothra. But uh, yeah, it, it's a solid piece of work, and, and um, you know, like I said earlier, I, th- I think it holds up extremely well. Yeah, I have I have no real qualms with this film. I think, actually, as far as miniature work goes, there are a couple of little things here and there. But again, like, you put yourself in the 60s. You put yourself in the you know in the theater in the 60s and i think everyone would be wowed over you know so much that the little stuff just doesn't you know doesn't seem to have the the nitpick aspect that 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 we would be able to check out now when we're watching it on home video and you know it's just really good and and speaking of home video just real quick i i will say that we you know as we i mentioned last last month we were watching uh, the Sony Icons of Toho um, sci-fi collection. And this thing looked amazing. Um, I was really surprised at how good this looked up on the screen. You know, one final comment I wanted to, to point out was, uh, you know, in these early 60s films, uh, of these kaiju films, you know, they're kid-friendly, but they're not marketed to kids or made for kids, kind of like what happened in the later Godzilla series, like in the late 60s, early 70s, where they really kind of seem to be, we have to have a kid in, in, in as one of our characters and really kind of, you know, having baby Godzilla, just really kind of like catered to kids more. I mean, this is kid-friendly. Kids could see it, but it doesn't play down to, uh, you know, the child mentality, I don't think. Yeah, and you're going to get that in the, in, you know, over the next seven years of, of uh, monster movies in Japan. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not it's not just relegated to Toho films. You know, you're totally blanking on when Gappa came out and when uh, Gilala came out. But you know, those those films are not necessarily kids' films. They might have you know, uh, you know, their their storylines won't won't be as mature as you know a drama. But you know, it's a monster movie, and um, as we were saying during the movie, and as uh, I talked to the guys from Tokyo SOS podcast about, you know, they they seem to be these movies from the 60s seem to have a little bit more for an adult viewer than just the kids, you know, marketed for for both, I think. Final thoughts for me. I'll say I kind of say it again. 
I love this film. Um, you know, sometimes I ask you guys, you know, would you show this to uh, to someone who's never seen a Godzilla movie before? And I think the answer to that for me is yes, but I would have to preface it with like, you know, think, you know, place yourself in 1961. This is not, you know, a wham bam effects driven film. Um, as you know, Martin, you pointed out, there's not, you know, no beam wars going on and, you know, all the destruction is physical. So, um, <clears throat> so I would say yes. And I really love this film. I would totally watch it with anybody at any time. I agree with you. I think it's a, it, it's a fine film to show someone if they've never even seen a, a giant monster film before. And, and, and you're correct in saying that. You know, you got to preface it with, you know, this is what it's like, as you would with, you know, a Dracula or Frankenstein film made in the 1950s or 60s, too. You know, you have to, ex- you know this is not going to be Independence Day, you know what I mean? Or Cloverfield. I mean, but I think anybody sitting down to watch a film from 1960, you know, they, they, I think they know what to expect. I would say yes, that I would recommend it. Um, I would, I would take it, though, from my perspective that. I don't think that if I was to like uh, take a friend, isolate one of these movies, and then have them watch it, then expect them to be a, a fan of it, having never seen it. Even with this one, I don't know that they would necessarily. Simply taking it from my point of view, because if we did, if this, if we had not been doing all this, and I'd have just sat down and watched Godzilla versus the Sea Monster, I probably wouldn't be a fan. Or, or, or you probably never talk to me again. Well, uh, <laughs> because well, what it's what it's taken for me. <laughs> when I'm walking out of here. I'm taking my beer. Um, what it's taken for me is to watch them all and start finding the appreciation in them. Um, most of them standing alone, I haven't really appreciated them individually, but like that has built and and the the ones that I didn't appreciate early on I would love to go back and watch again with the appreciation that I have now because I think I would enjoy them so much more so I I I think most of your movie consumers are going to be more like that because they want something that's flashy and it's in their face and it's spoon-fed and I and I think that they aren't prepared to have something where they could have an appreciation ha- and, you know, and build to something like that. So, uh, I do, I did get some, uh, some listener feedback on this movie. So anybody have anything else to add? I think we can safely move on and hear what other people had to say. So Tito wrote in and said that he really enjoyed Mothra quite a bit because, uh, it was the first time he had seen it. He would have liked to see the deleted scene for Nelson's death where Mothra pushes him off a cliff. And uh, one of the old posters had a shot of him screaming in terror, I guess. So um, he had seen Tokyo SOS, so that actually helped explain who uh, Professor Chuzo was. Jose wrote in and said that he enjoyed it as, uh, as much as he does all kaiju films. Maybe a little bit more as Mothra is his second favorite monster. Godzilla, of course, is his first favorite. The look for Mothra was well done for the time, and uh, so was the plot. He always thought that the hieroglyph for Mothra, which is a radio, radiant cross-shaped star, was cool, and uh, he's always loved the fairy twins and the Mothra song. First-time submitter Jim. Thanks for returning in your homework, man. 
He enjoyed Mothra very much. The tone is a bit lighter than previous Toho kaiju films, but uh, never quite lapses into the silliness the way the later Godzilla films would. Overall, Mothra is more a fantasy film than a horror film, and while some of the special effects are not as realistic as other Toho films, like toy cars being blown down the streets of Newkirk City, uh, he thought this added to the fantasy tone of the film. Oh, and he also mentioned that the atomic heat ray devices were very cool miniatures, which I agree with. I, uh, I kind of wish I had a little toy or model kit of an atomic heat ray, something small that I could you know, set up next to my Mothra. Alex wrote in to say that uh, Mothra is quite possibly one of the most visually stunning kaiju films ever made. Strong words, Alex. Strong words. There's so much good to say. The production values are all some of Toho's best work. The booming score manages to blend majesty with power, much in the same way Mothra does. Nick also noted that uh, he was not very familiar with the icons of sci-fi DVD, which we watched here at the KaijuCast headquarters, uh, which is absolutely horribly packaged. Nick, I will totally agree with you on that. Eventually, I'm actually going to make my own DVD covers for all three of those movies, but that has nothing to do with this discussion. Nick never grew up on this movie like he did with Godzilla, Rodan, and Gamera, and always resented the moth or larva for winning in Godzilla vs. The Thing. Nonetheless, it's a great example of sci-fi craftsmanship from the golden age of Toho. The blending of science and mythology for Mothra was interesting and always made him wonder if Mothra was different in size or shape before the bomb tests on Infant Island. The human characters are good with a clear definition between the good guys and the bad guys. Mothra in both forms is a marvel to watch. Robert wrote in and said that as he grew up in the Cleveland area in the 1980s, he used to watch a program called the Superhost Movie Show. Superhost was the overnight local weatherman in a Superman costume with red clown makeup on his nose. And every Saturday he would present a different movie interspersed with his own comedic skits. He played 50s sci-fi movies, including a ton of Japanese monsters. This is where he fell in love with Godzilla. And also the first time he saw Mothra was on that show. The iconic image of Mothra spinning a cocoon beneath the toppled Tokyo Tower and then hatching into her majestic adult form is etched into his memory. And seeing this movie again on DVD brings back those happy memories. I gotta say, I'm happy that uh, this film did that for you. It's really a fantastic movie, guys. I mean, if... Uh, if you missed out this this time and you haven't seen the movie, uh, definitely definitely check it out. Like I said, 1961, it was the height of Toho's, uh, basically Toho's power in the Japanese film market, which is also noted by Bob, who wrote in uh, and said pretty much the same thing. The Mothra larva suit was the best they ever had. Granted, it was a little too big to be used with any other monster, and the adult Mothra puppets were graceful and just uh, looked just so right. Bob also notes that the cast really works well together, with the comic relief being at least somewhat amusing, and Nelson just totally oozes smarmy evil. Uh, he says, maybe the best ever in a kaiju film. And then there are the Peanuts, who are a delight. I mean, seriously, who who doesn't like the Peanuts? Who doesn't like the Mothra twins from, from this movie? And, of course, they were bought, brought back for Mothra versus Godzilla and Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. Finally, Bob does say that uh, he thinks that this is one of the few films where the dubbing is done well, unlike the 90s films where the dubbing is painful to listen to. Um, if for anybody out there who's interested in the the way these Godzilla movies were dubbed, 
there is a very interesting history behind this. I, I don't know it all by heart, uh, so I can't really just access it off the top of my brain. But there was one studio, uh, or recording studio, I, wish I should say, that did a lot of those films. And some of the films were done uh, in America. Some of the films were done overseas. And so when Sony released, uh, let's see, Godzilla vs. Hedorah, that movie was, uh, like the dub you hear on that DVD, is the Titra dub, which is uh, the international dub. Same thing you would have heard if you saw the movie, I'm guessing, in Hong Kong in the 70s. But here in America, we got the AIP dub uh, because American International Pictures brought it in and then redubbed it themselves. Um, I will always say that uh, I like the American International Pictures dubs better. Just, that's my preference. But you can tell on this DVD that the uh, the same actors who did the work for like Monster Zero did the same work for Mothra. So that pretty much wraps up our discussion for this time. Uh, make sure that you check out next month's movie. I'm assuming we're going to get a ton of submissions for this one. It's the 1993 Godzilla Mecha Godzilla from the Heisei series. Big time fan favorite, if I do say so myself. And I'm pretty sure that next month I'm going to... Uh, have a, a lot of fun reading and also showing uh, my friends this movie. Before we get started on the Kaiju Cast Godzilla news, I just want to say, Robert, thanks for sending me your son's thoughts on Mothra 2. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. You know, I think I, I say this, I don't say it every show, but I say it often. I'm not a news scoop kind of guy. I don't, uh, I don't have my finger on the pulse of what's happening uh, in the world of giant monster movies. So what I do is I rely on sites like uh, SciFiJapan.com. Uh, SciFiJapan.com is pretty much where I get a majority of my news. Every once in a while I come up with something, you know, find something on Facebook Somebody sends me a link. Sometimes somebody, you know, somebody else has it on their website. August Ragoni also has uh, news on his blog. And, you know, there's always the forums on Monster Zero. or They're on Sci-Fi Japan now. Uh, there's not a lot to cover here this month for news. Uh, just mostly movie-related stuff. There's a movie called uh, Monsters. I guess it's a UK production. I don't really know much about it. I know that uh, it, looks, it looks pretty cool. There are giant monsters in it. I guess it's an independent film, too. So I'll have the link in the show notes to both a trailer and to a little uh, production notes article um, on uh, on SciFiJapan.com. So if you uh, heard me talk about this a couple months ago, I, I mentioned that I picked up the Shout Factory Gamera DVD. They are re-releasing all of the original Showa films on DVD and uh, doing a fantastic job of it. So far, they've got uh, not only the first movie, Gamera, but they've also got Barugan, Gamera versus Barugan, which I cannot find uh, locally. I'm going to have to order it online. Um, also, they started releasing their double discs. They've got a uh, disc with Gamera versus Gauss and Gamera versus Veras on one uh, one set, and then the other one has Gamera versus Giron and Gamera versus Jiger. So I have not seen these yet. I'm aching to get them because I've actually got a little hole in my DVD collection up there for those those uh, films. 
I'm going to be getting them. I, I suggest you do too because the production values are going to be high. I know that August Ragoni was involved with them, so make sure you uh, keep a lookout for those. Speaking of Gamerot, there's actually some interesting news. Um, a company called Mill Creek Entertainment is putting Gamera Guardian of the Universe and Gamera 2 Advent of Legion out on uh, not just DVD. They're putting it on Blu-ray. And this kind of happened like really super fast. And I guess the release date is October 12th. Uh, so we don't have to wait too long to hear how these discs look. But um, I guess they're pretty cheap. And I don't have a Blu-ray player yet. If anybody picks up this DVD in the coming month and uh, or the Blu-ray disc and wants to just kind of send me information about how, how good the quality is, I'm very interested in finding that out. On Best Buy's website, it's uh, on on there for twelve ninety nine, so I don't think I've ever seen Blu-ray discs for that cheap before. But I'll be interested to find out if the quality is really that good. I'll have a couple of links in the show notes to those uh, DVDs, so you can see where I'm getting the information from. Uh, speaking of DVD, just just a couple more DVD references here for you before we move on. Uh, another movie coming out in October, another Japanese monster movie, which I've never heard anything about or seen anything about until like this, this month, is a movie called Demi King, the Sea Monster. And uh, I'm going to be checking that out too. Uh, it'd be nice if I could check it out on Netflix before I buy it because I have no idea if it's any good or not. Uh, it says it's set in a dreary port town in 1970. The story revolves around a group of boys led by the uh, older Kameoka who form their own exploration group. And one day Kameoka uh, meets a strange man named Hachia who works at uh, a local amusement park. Hachia is convinced a vision of the future he experienced is, a real, is real. And one day he will have to fight a giant monster called Demiking to stop it from destroying Tokyo. When the time comes, Hachia suddenly up and leaves. However, with the guidance of a note he leaves behind, Kamioka and his friends set off on an adventure to discover the true nature of Demiking. So, yeah, Demiking, the sea monster. There is also a feature on uh, Sci-Fi Japan about that, so I will add a link in the show notes for you, folks. And last but not least, this is not by any means news, uh, but allow me to do a tiny bit of complaining here. Media Blasters and Tokyo Shock, the companies who have brought us such Toho classics as Varan, Mysterians, Matango, and even newer Japanese fare like Moon Over Tao and Monster X Strikes Back, uh, they're the distributor who is releasing Death Kappa. You've heard me talk about the movie uh, before. I haven't seen it, but it was uh, supposed to be a true-to-form, modern-day, but old-school-styled kaiju film uh, done by Tomu Haraguchi. I've been really looking forward to seeing the movie. First, the release date was set at the end of July, and I was like, oh, cool, I can buy it. And then, of course, it got pushed back. I think it got pushed back to, like, beginning of September. Then it was the 21st of September, then it was the 28th of September, and now I can't find any kind of information about when it's going to be available. Amazon says it's in stock now. I guess we'll see. But, you know, after all that waiting and looking forward to the date and then waiting and looking forward to the next date, I kind of feel like the hype has probably overshadowed the actual movie. I'm just afraid that it's not going to live up to my own expectations, my own anticipation of the film Blah, so rant off. There you go. So, hey, any uh, 
any Floridian KaijuCast listeners that are down near the Delray Beach area. If you catch this uh, episode before October 6th, Wednesday, October 6th, make sure you go to the Morikami Museum and uh, Japanese Gardens because they're going to be hosting uh, Professor James B. Levy and Mark Nagata to talk about kaiju, the history and art of Japanese vinyl and toys. I'll have a link on the show notes to go to the website so you can check that out, and hopefully some of you guys make it. I know that James Bonney, who uh, submitted the uh, review of the last Ultraman movie, he's going to be going there, and hopefully he'll be able to interview these guys for me and uh, kind of get some insider information so we can play it in the October episode. Make sure you check the show notes for that. Also, uh, if you're a local, if you're a Portland local, there's some really cool stuff going on. People who heard my guest from July, Baron Von Gulu, touting his newest creation slash addition to his haunted house, the atomic rampage of the ultra battle monsters that is set to start at Fright Town this weekend. I'll be heading down to the haunt to visit, if not to help out. Uh, Make sure that if you're a fan in the area, you check out Fright Town this year. So I mentioned this in a previous episode. Every other Tuesday here in Portland, a bar full of near nerds gets together to complete uh, to compete in one of the funnest competitions I've ever taken part in. I've only been going to Geek Trivia for a few months now, but I am thoroughly, thoroughly hooked. If you are in Portland, make sure you come check it out uh, every other Tuesday at Vendetta. Psst. I'm actually hosting on November 2nd, so there might be some Godzilla questions, FYI. This week, October 5th, Ground Control, which is Portland's classic arcade, will be hosting the evening and grilling the teams about video game geekery. There's also this cool group in town called the Alter Egos Society. It's, um, I don't know how to describe it very quickly. It's like a superhero costuming group, but none of the superheroes are from comic books. They're all made up. you got to make up your own character, and that's how you get in. Um, the Alter Ego Society is having their fourth annual hero slash villain ceasefire party on October 9th. Uh, it's a superhero themed costume party slash concert for charity. And all profits from the evening go to Pair, which is a local nonprofit which mentors homeless youth. I'll have a link to their Facebook uh, event page if anyone is interested. Later this month, on Sunday, October 24th, from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m., Excalibur Comics on Hawthorne Boulevard will be raising money for the Bradley Angles Domestic Violence Shelter and Programs by auctioning over uh, 150 pieces of Wonder Woman-related art for Wonder Woman Day. If you're near Flemington, New Jersey, Comic Fusion will be hosting their own Wonder Woman Day uh, and the festivities there as well. Check out the website, which I'll have a link to in the show notes, of course. So on Halloween this year, Court and Fatboy, who are hosts of the Court and Fatboy show, it's a podcast here in town, they're going to be screening The Walking Dead at the Baghdad Theater, which is also on Hawthorne. It's sponsored by Things from Another World. Doors open at 10 p.m. and uh, Tifa is providing prizes for a costume contest. If you're local and you want to go, even though the doors open at 10 p.m., you should really get there early because it gets really, really packed. Check out the show notes for detailed information on that screening. Yeah, well, that wraps it up for the news, folks. I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap up the podcast, too. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. That's not only for uh, people who wrote in for their Daikaiju discussion homework, which thank you for that specifically. You guys rock. But also for the guys who wrote in about uh, the 2012 Godzilla film discussion. Hopefully, it was entertaining to listen to. Like I said, next month's Daikaiju Discussion Homework 
is Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla from 1993. That's like a classic Heisei film. A lot of people really love that. I know it's Tiger's favorite movie of the Heisei series. I know I still need to post uh, the Atragon unboxing. Just put some video software on my, my computer, so I'll be able to do that now. Yay! Um, I really don't have anything else to talk about. Thanks to Martin and Jeff for coming over and watching the movie with me. That's always a good time. I'm sure we'll have them back uh, for subsequent films in the uh, discussions. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast by uh, saying that if you found this on iTunes or some other podcast directory, don't hesitate to point your web browser to kaijucast.com where you can download current and previous episodes. Check out the suggested reading, the show notes, the schedule for the Daikaiju discussions, and cast your vote in the polls. Nick, thank you for providing some poll ideas. I'm definitely going to use some of those. As always, I do love hearing from you guys. So if you'd like to make a comment, either positive or negative, I I'd welcome both, believe it or not. Reply to something I said, point out an error, or simply supply your thoughts for the next month's homework assignment. Just send an email to controller at kaijucast.com. I would love to hear from you. The KaijuCast is also on Facebook, and it's also on Twitter. Both links can be found from our website. I'm going to leave you with one more lovely tune. It was actually a request from one of our listeners who I'm looking up right now on my papers. And I'm going to leave you with one more track before we get out of here. This is uh, for Vince. It's End Roll by Ko Otani from Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidra, Daikaiju, Sokugeki. That's about it, guys. Yamata! Yamata!